Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 26 through 40 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 26 to 40. Now, we know that God is love, right? Everyone knows that. We certainly know it. There's no real question there, but here's the text for good measure. So 1 John 4, 16, uh, sorry, 4, 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And 1 John 4.16 says it as well. So scripture makes this point all over the place. It makes it very clear in those two passages, but it really makes this point all over the place. So we know that God is the very fulfillment of love. He's the essence, the meaning of love. He's the personification of it. Real love begins with God. Real love ends with God. We don't know what love is apart from God. And if it wasn't for God, there would be no love. God is love. We also know that God... Not only is God love, we also know that God is a God of order. And we'll see that in our text today. But we see this quite personally as well. The Bible teaches us that God has ordered our steps. Uh, one of the translations says God's ordered our steps. But I'm referring to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24. In the ESV, it says, A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? In other words, God orders our steps. He, um, he, you think about your steps, right? You take a step, and the one step comes, and then the next one comes right after it. And the, the, that first step uh, kind of limits the direction of the next steps, right? So each step kind of builds on the last. And, and, and it, it takes you in a direction. Of course, you can make adjustments. And what the Scripture is saying here is that those steps that you take, yes, you're making very real choices. Yes, it's your decision. That's very true. But even while that's true, the scriptures teach us that what's even more true is that those steps are even more about God's decisions than ours. So our decisions are real, and, and we can't fully reconcile this. Our decisions are real, but God is actually ordering our steps. Our choices are within the context of his sovereignty. God orders our steps. And we see this in the scripture, and we know that God is a God of order. And that's why the Proverbs says, a man's steps are from the Lord, how then can man understand his way? In other words, we don't even fully understand our own way in life. In some ways, we, we, it, it's kind of like when you've driven a car and you're very tired, and, and at some point you realize, well, how, I don't even remember how I got here. Which, by the way, is very dangerous, don't let that happen. Make sure you stop and get coffee if that's ever happening to you while you're driving. But life is kind of like that. Sometimes we look back and say, how did I ever get to this place in my life? Well, here's how. God ordered our steps. And praise him that he did because it was God ordering our steps that brought the gospel into our lives, that, that brought us to salvation, that, that, that brought us to a place where we heard and understood and were, we were inclined to believe and came to a, a, a saving knowledge and a trusting faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved today because God ordered our steps. And isn't that awesome? It's better that God knows our steps. It's better that God orders our steps because he's the one that brought us safely to this place in life. So put those two concepts together. First of all, God is love. And secondly, God orders our steps. God is love, 
and his order. His love and order both come from the Lord. Both are attributes or aspects of who God is. And uh, we have experienced both of these realities in our life. We've experienced the love of God in the gospel, and we've experienced the order of God in our steps personally, in that God brought us to saving faith, and he's kept us to this very day, brought us to this point in life. That's incredible love from God, and incredible direction from God, sovereignty of God to love us. Therefore, when it comes to the assembly of God's people, should we expect anything different? Should we expect anything different than the love of God and the order of God? Of course not. His love and his order, not only are they seen in our assembly, but they should mark our assembly. And that's why uh, this makes a, a good theme for us today. And here's that theme, that in God's love, in his love, God has ordered our steps. So let us love one another by ordering our assembly. In other words, when we gather, our gatherings should demonstrate the love of God and the order of God. Let me say it again. In his love, God has ordered our steps, so let us love one another by ordering our assembly. God's ordered our steps, so that now when we gather in the name of our Lord Jesus, let us order our assembly in a loving way. And you may have uh, gathered that this portion of Scripture deals with making sure that our assembly, our gathering is orderly. And I want to give you three ways that our gathering should be ordered from the text of Scripture today. Because as we order it in that way, it's, it's a loving way uh, to, to be gathered together. All right. The first way our gathering should be ordered is that they should be ordered in speech. Our gathering should be ordered in speech. And um, we've learned over the last three weeks that the speech gifts are good for the church. Uh, that, God, that God, by his Holy Spirit, gives gifts to the church, gives a broad range of gifts to the church. Some of those gifts are things like leading, or, or, or uh, uh, some of those gifts that he gives the church. Uh, uh, actually, okay, let me digress. Uh, that's a good question. Is, gift, is leadership a gift that God gives to people? That's a topic for another day. Um, and, and I slipped there and, and said something that, that I didn't mean to say, because I think we have to look at that a little more closely. But we know that he gives a broad range of gifts to his church. Serving and giving can be gifts to the church. Acts of mercy, or even uh, the expression of miraculous powers and healing are gifts that God gives to the church. But he also gives gifts of speech, uh, words of wisdom and knowledge, um, uh, words of prophecy, or even tongues. God gives those to the church. And, uh, and, and so we're talking now about these gifts of speech that, that Paul is honed in on by the Holy Spirit. He's honed in on these gifts of speech. And we're going to see some rather specific instructions here in the text that, that help us understand how to organize these gifts of speech helpfully so that our gatherings can be ordered. And as you follow along with the reading that I'm about to do here, keep an eye out for the big picture of biblical principles. So you're going you're to see some very specific instructions about speech gifts, but don't just focus on those. Keep an eye out for the big picture 
of the biblical principles that are involved here. Okay, so let me read for you verses 26 through the first half of verse 33. Your your uh, text probably has it broken down into a paragraph. So verse 30, uh, 26, 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through first half of 13. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn. And let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, a God of peace. So just take a, a thought, look, look there again at verse 26 and look at these varieties of speech gifts. It's rather remarkable. There's, there's uh, hymns, in other words, songs. It could be songs that they already knew or songs that the Spirit of God is giving to them. Uh, you know, maybe there's a song that they, that they already know and someone feels compelled. We ought to sing this song now. Uh, maybe it's even an environment where they can lead out. It's probably a much smaller gathering than what we're used to. And, uh, and so you have hymns. You also have lessons. And that's, that's referring to a teaching. So some are given the gift to teach uh, or the, uh, the, the gift of a revelation. Which is which is probably uh, referring to the the gift of prophecy. There, uh, it may also refer to maybe sort of the broader range of that sort of. There's a, a kind of a range of gifts there that might include a, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, or a prophecy. They probably all kind of go together. Or and then there's the gift of tongues that he calls out here, which is giving praise to God in a language unknown to the speaker that the Holy Spirit gives to the speaker. And then there's this gift of interpretation. Again, you know, we see this, um, this, this emphasis that every time that he talks about gifts, he, he puts in there at some point tongues and interpretation because that's clearly part of what the Corinthian church is asking him about. So he puts in there the interpretation. And, and interpretation here means the interpretation of that unknown tongue so that the church can understand it and therefore be built up by it. We've talked about this. and uh, If you haven't heard those messages, maybe go back so that you understand the context a little bit better. And so if someone speaks in a the tongue, they also, there also needs to be the gift of interpretation so that the church understands it. And as I mentioned, the church is there. This church that he's writing to is probably much smaller than the church that we have right now gathered together, maybe even more like a care group when you consider a care group, when you have all the kids included there, uh, I got to visit the Gaiman care group a few weeks ago. They have over 20 children in that care group. I know many of our care groups have a lot of children. It was funny that that week, um, Dwayne Williams was Dwayne and Angela were on children duty. I didn't even see Dwayne uh, because I know I saw Angela briefly. She brought a child up, I think, for a quick drink. Uh, leaving Dwayne down there by himself the, the entire time I was there, I could hear this din of noise, and I could only imagine what was happening in the in the recesses of the house uh, as the noise of the children were rising up. But it sounded like they were having an amazing time, and 
I heard that uh, Dwayne was actually down there acting out Bible stories for the children. There's a thought uh, to keep the children entertained. So thank you, Dwayne. I'm sorry I didn't see you that night. Uh, but you can imagine. So if there's over 20 children down there, and you have, you know, you're in the teens, you, you might be looking at about 40 people gathered at the gayman's house on any given care group night. And I know that many of our care groups are are uh, 20s, 30s, uh, because of the children when they're involved. And so that might have been like a, like, like the house church here in Corinth, or maybe it was a little bit bigger, maybe it's right around there. And so when they gathered together. There was the opportunity, potential, every single person could share out loud with the group. And I think this is a good example. So we're doing the best we can right now with the size gathering that we have. But, but our small groups, our care groups are a perfect place for more people to participate. We try to get people involved on Sunday mornings, uh, and we do that. But you can get even a higher percentage involved in the small group. And so everyone comes with a hymn and a lesson, a revelation, a, a tongue, an interpretation. And, uh, and and so uh, we can engage in this way, whether it's the formal gathering of the church and it's large group or small group or it's the informal gathering or just being together with other brothers and sisters. But notice that in all of this, in this range of giftings, that all of these things are to be done for the building up of the body. There's that phrase there at the end of verse 26. So, so there's the big biblical principle that anything that's done Anything that's spoken when you're together, it's supposed to be done for the edification of others in consideration of our brothers and sisters. It's to be done in love for one another. I'm supposed to, whatever I share, it's, it's not so that you think I'm so wise. It's not so that you think I'm so spiritual. It's so that others are built up. That has to be the motive. That's the guiding biblical principle. Why? Because God is love. And there's your first principle of order in the church and for the speech gifts in the church is that they're done in love for others. And so you, as you move on through this, he gets to tongues first when he starts to break it down specifically by the speech gifts. He's going to talk about tongues. He's going to talk about prophecy. And I think these specific instructions are very important for us. So, uh, and, I, and I think that they should, they, should, they should guide our use of the gifts in the meetings of the church, large or small. And this is quite a, quite a thought because for some reason, uh, uh, and, and again, having grown up in a Pentecostal church myself and, uh, and knowing that Crossway comes from a very strong charismatic background, what's interesting is to see places where Pentecostals and charismatics have exempted themselves from the clear teaching of Scripture. Now, I want to be clear. When I, when I speak like this and I bring a little bit of criticism of my past experience or what I've observed, or maybe even what Crossway Church has practiced many years ago. Um, I don't mean this as, as a, a, a blistering critique or a hard critique. I, I mean to be useful in the corrective, the same way Paul's correcting the Corinthian church. I want to be useful in that way to our church as I take the words of God and apply them to our situation uh, to correct where we may be wrong in our thinking and to strengthen where we may be right in our practice. And so when I, when I bring this up, I don't mean to, to bash Pentecostals or Charismatics. The opposite is true. Pentecostals and Charismatics are very dear to my heart. Uh, I have known many sincere, godly men and women who were my examples in, in my upbringing, both in the Pentecostal circles and Charismatic circles. You may have experienced the same. Um, there, are, there are many uh, 
sound of Pentecostals and Charismatics that, that I would gladly follow and consider to be my examples in life. And so I do not, I, I, I don't mean this in an arrogant way or a, a bashing way, and, and, and I don't mean to mock. Um, I, and you can see that in Paul here. Paul does not mock. He doesn't mock their understanding of tongues. He doesn't mock their practice even where it needs correction. He, he's, not, he's not putting them down. He's not condescending to them. He's, he's correcting them. And you see it points earlier, I think, in this, in this passage where he can, uh, he, can, he can be very strong in his criticism. He can be sarcastic in his criticism. But he doesn't do it when it comes to the gifts. And I think that's interesting. Because I think sometimes when people don't believe in the gifts, they can mock. Or, or when people uh, just want to... Um, Choose an easy target. They can they can choose charismatic and Pentecostals and, and and come off very condescendingly. And what's interesting is Paul doesn't do that here. He does it in some other areas. He does it when it comes to division. He come, he does it when it comes to um, the the way that people are criticizing and and bringing division in the church. But he doesn't do it here when it comes to spiritual gifts. And nor should we. And uh, boy, I didn't mean to take that much time on that. Uh, aspect of this, but I think that's an important point for us. And I think what we have to recognize here with tongues, um, when it comes to the to the operation of the gift of tongues in the church, uh, there are a few things that need to guide our understanding of of that gift and the use of that gift. And and these truths, these objective realities of what's supposed to guide that gift, th- these these concepts, the principles here that are fleshed out in application should be more important to us than any feeling we may have or compulsion we may feel. These should guide our use of the gifts. And and they should be they should be they should be internalized by us as convictions of how to utilize the gifts. So one of the one of the things the principles or, or rather the instructions that guides is that there should only be two or three people that give a tongue in any given meeting. And that may seem very limiting to to some in the charismatic or Pentecostal world. But I appeal to Scripture, what Paul's saying here. In other words, you, you shouldn't just gather together and have you know person after person after person after person after person speak in tongues. It's not the point. And um, and yes, people do learn by example, but that's not the primary concern here. The primary concern is not, we have to learn the gift of tongues so the gift of tongues is passed along. No, God gives the gift of tongues. It's, it's a gift. And, and yes, there are, there are aspects of utilizing that gift that will be, that, that, that there's, it takes skill and training to utilize them in an upbuilding way. And, and training happens when the gift comes. But we're not to just have meetings of tongues and tongues and tongues and tongues. In fact, it should be limited. And, um, and secondly, it must be interpreted. And that's not something that you get when it comes to the intelligible gifts. That reality of interpretation, that principle of interpretation, limits the usefulness of tongues. It's, it's why Paul will say, later in this chapter, he'll say, don't forbid tongues. In other words, go ahead and tolerate it, it, no, don't just tolerate it in sort of a ho-hum way. Tolerate it with faith, but it's, it's not the one we put forward first in the gathering of the church because it requires a, an asterisk. It, it requires a second step to make it useful. Someone has to interpret it. 
And there's a challenge in that, right? Because if someone were to come forward and say, I believe I have a, a, a gift in tongues for the church. Well, we know that it has to be interpreted or it shouldn't be allowed. And so should you procure the interpretation of that tongue before you allow the tongue, which seems to be uh, a challenge in ordering the, the service, right? Uh, so, for instance, if someone were to come to the pastors on a Sunday morning and say, I think I have a gift in tongues, perhaps we would say to that person, stand aside. Good, thank you for sharing. Stand aside. We'll put out the call to see if there's anyone here that believes they have the gift of interpretation for that tongue. And so we would have to add that step into the meeting of the church to make certain. Or we could go ahead with the tongue and then after that say, does anyone have the interpretation of this tongue? And then if no one had the interpretation of that tongue, we might have to issue a rebuke and a corrective and say, hey, we apologize to everyone. We should not have allowed that tongue. Uh, This person should have remained silent. And that's the, the critical piece here is that if there is no interpretation, then the person with the tongue should remain silent. Well, that builds into the tongue a challenge uh, to, to roll it out in an edifying and loving and considerate way. I know that some charismatics may feel um, that that's limiting the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I point you to the principles here in Scripture that Paul teaches in a very unapologetic manner for the good of the church. There are greater truths involved than the subjective sense that I have a, a, a gift in tongues to share. There's, there's bigger things at stake, and there are bigger principles involved, and, and that needs to guide us. Those convictions need to guide us. Now, uh, there's a, there, when it comes to uh, prophecy... Uh, we kind of get a a similar aspect except for the interpretation part. So with prophecy, we get the same two to three person rule, right? We get two or three people that can share that they have a prophetic impulse. Now, I I don't think we're in trouble if we go four. I don't think we're in sin if we go four. But I do think there's that idea again that we're not just supposed to have a meeting where we put aside the teaching, we put aside uh, worshiping God together, we put aside prayer, we put aside giving... Uh, we put aside fellowship uh, just so that we can hear um, the gifts or the, 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 the speech gifts. But instead, uh, we should have a limit to them. And, and in this sense, I think you kind of get a sense that if God is, is wanting to speak to the church, um, th- there's going to be a connection between these words. The, there's going to be an operation of the Spirit so that um, you get a couple, you get two or three, and, and, and you kind of get the sense of what God is impressing on the church at a, at a given time. And when the prophecy comes, the, the thing we're supposed to do, and this is different than tongues, tongues has to be interpreted. Prophecy it doesn't need to be interpreted. We understand it because it's in an intelligible language which makes it loving. But it is to be weighed. It's to be evaluated. And, and again, in the smaller setting, that probably looked like people um, asking questions of the person who shared. In fact, um, at that time, uh, not, o- not only in the Jewish setting, but in, in other settings where prophets were, a lot of times the prophets responded in Q&A format. And so um, 
when a question would be asked of the prophet, they would answer. Well, in the Christian setting, it's not to be, the questions aren't to be, you know, uh, will my child be a boy or a girl? But instead, like, in other words, just give me the predictive elements. But instead, the prophet shares uh, the prophecy. Now, the person shares the speech gift. And then maybe someone says, you know, what's your sense of this? Do you, do you, uh, th- does it mean this, or, or did you mean this when you said that? And, and from their sense, they, they share. Now, in the larger setting, um, this is not entirely possible, but certainly every uh, a believer is to weigh out what's being shared. Does it apply to them? Is, is God speaking to them in a particular way through it? Which is, that's what we, we think is happening in that sort of revelation, which isn't revelation at the level of God's holy scriptures. But it may be a timely, situational uh, connection, a revelation from the standpoint that says God knows what you're going through and wants to apply truth to your situation, wants to raise it in your mind and, 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 um, and, and remind you of, of it in a particular way. And everyone's to see and to weigh that out. And the pastors, that's why when someone comes with a word, they come to one of the pastors and um, and we help them think it through as to uh, first of all is it orthodox does does it fit with God's word and secondly is it timely and appropriate and and so we guide that process the pastors guide it we think that uh, our oversight of the church it's a good fit for the pastoral role and so we uh, do it that way in the great assembly but certainly in the small groups we should be weighing this out. And uh, part of this here is um, is that the spirit of the prophets are, are subject to the prophets. The prophets are not out of control. I, I want to say this properly so that you don't misunderstand, but the, the, sometimes I think charismatics and Pentecostals think about the, the speech gifts, that the Holy Spirit puts something on their heart and compels them, and, and we get that sense, I think God wants to say this to the church. I think sometimes, or, or tongues, I think, I think sometimes they think of it in the mode of like you're just you've just been taken over by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that language I've even heard that language used in that fashion. And and I don't mean disrespect here. I just mean simply in the mode. I think sometimes they think that anything spiritual that's happening has to be spectacular. It, it almost has to be like in the mode of demon possession. And I'm using the opposite here to to illustrate the point. What I mean by that is. In demon possession, you, you get the sense that the person is overcome completely by the demon, and they're out of control. The demon directs them, at least at certain points. You know, they're 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 screaming, they're yelling, they're swearing, they're against Christ. Their their speech is against God. It mocks God, or or maybe even physically, they're fighting against people, and they have this superhuman strength, and and they're just wild. And those are the kind of descriptions we get from Scripture. And I think it's important to recognize here that is not the mode of operation for the spiritual gifts. It doesn't look like a holy version of demon possession. That's not the point. And the scripture tells us very explicitly here that the uh, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Earlier you get the sense when Paul says, I'd rather speak five intelligible words. I'd rather pray with my mind than with my spirit. In other words, the mind needs to be spiritual as well. 
And that's why these these truths, these principles of of godliness in the gathering of the church, of order and love in the church, are greater than the operation of the gifts themselves. Or the idea that if they're not done with love, then, then then they're worthless at best. And so, God's not a God of of confusion. He's a, a God of order. Let me just point this out. that uh, Paul points out that if we, um, if we do this in an orderly way, it's intelligible, it's one at a time, it's limited, um, there's evaluation of prophecy or interpretation of tongues. If we do this in an orderly way, everyone is encouraged. And, and think about how beautiful that is. Don't we need encouragement? Don't we need encouragement? Even now, brothers and sisters, some of us listening to this, you need the encouragement of the Lord to press on in Christ Jesus. You may feel discouraged. You may feel like you're never going to grow. You may feel like you're never going to make it. You, you may feel that life is so futile, you might even be tempted to feel like the Christian life is futile. You may believe that, that life in the church is futile. You may believe that teaching is futile. You may believe that your very best efforts to glorify the Lord have come to nothing and are completely futile. You may be discouraged in every way. You may feel the walls pressing in on you financially or that the future looks bleak. The Holy Spirit of God wants to encourage you right now and let you know it's not bleak not hopeless it is the opposite that when you have Christ Jesus there's always hope no matter how dark it looks it could be the cross itself it could be the tomb after the cross it could be the second day after the burial even then there is hope because Christ will rise and he did rise And so the Christian is never without hope. Yeah, okay. Everything around you might look completely bleak. Might look dead. Might look like there's no life in anything that you're looking at. And that everything does look futile. But it's not. Because Jesus Christ is alive. So be encouraged, dear friend. You need that encouragement. We all need it. And that's why God gives these gifts to the church. I have to make one more point. I know I'm going long, as usual, in my first point, but let me mention here that it's not that God's not, it's not just that He's not a a, a God of order, Uh, He's a God of peace. In other words, confusion is the opposite of peace. Confusion is the opposite of order, and order is the embodiment of peace. You only have true order when, when you're peaceable in the heart. And order helps bring about peace. It says God is a God of peace. And, and this is the opposite of what sometimes people seem to think that spirituality is. Again, going back to that concept that, and I think the Corinthians struggled with this. I think charismatics struggle with it today. I think much of the popular emphasis on worship music today that has swept the church and is all over the, um, all over the internet. And I'm not saying it's all bad, but you can see you can see this in that that it's that what matters is feeling. It's it's uh, it, it's it's emotion. It's being in the moment. You know, feeling the presence of God. That that's when you know that God's really alive and, and working. And so some advocate activity, exuberance, passion, 
all kinds of happenings, all kinds of feeling and emotion. That's all evidence of God being present. What's fascinating about that is what about peace? What about the peace that Paul talks about here? The peace he's talking about here is not very touchy-feely peace. The peace he's talking about here is, is the peace that comes from order, from one thing happening after the next. You know, one prophecy, then the next prophecy, not at the same time. You know, one tongue, the interpretation of it, and the next one, not at the not all at the same time. And and then when you hit two or three, like hey, that's enough, everybody. Okay, oh, you you feel like you have a word. Okay, you know what? Hang on to that. It must be for something else. And uh, we're going to move on to teaching now. We're going to move on to prayer now. We're going to move on to fellowship now. Um, it's that kind of order. That, that brings peace and that is peaceable and that God is the God of. And it's incredibly spiritual. It's incredibly upbuilding. It's where the Spirit of God is working. And, and, and so we have to ask ourselves a question. If we think we're spiritual, would I recognize the working of God if it, if it was embodied in the peaceful outworking of order within the gathering of God's people. Would I recognize that? Would I say, oh, wow, God's here. This is awesome. Or would I miss it completely? Now, let's not be children, right? Let's be mature and grow. For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.